Well, we're looking tonight in the book of Isaiah, and we needed to read the whole of chapter 1, but our verse uh, is particularly verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is indeed a gospel text, a text that announces good news to men and women. It is an offer of astonishing mercy from Almighty God to sinful people. A people, we might say, in the days of Isaiah, who by and large were not listening to the gospel or to what the prophet had to say, even though, as the first verse of our chapter makes clear, he had prophesied for many years over several reigns of the kings of Judah, starting with Isaiah and going through to Hezekiah. He was speaking the word of God and holding out the grace of God even to a people who were largely not listening. And so I think we can immediately see a resonance with the situation in our own nation and in our own communities. By God's grace, the gospel continues to be preached, here and there at least, and yet we have to acknowledge that by and large, people are not listening, which makes the offer of mercy here truly astonishing in its grace. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. As we consider that phrase, though your sins are like scarlet, uh, we might well turn to a text such as Revelation chapter 17 and verses 3 and 4 where we read about a woman who was sitting on a scarlet beast. This is obviously apocalyptic language, but it is speaking about Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, the abominations of the earth. We read that she was full of the names of blasphemy, uh, that she was arrayed in purple and scarlet. She had in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of fornication. And she was one who had committed fornication with the inhabitants of the earth. And later on in the passage, it's clear that she is responsible for the death of many martyrs. It's, it's a, a pictorial language, but it's speaking of that great persecuting uh, entity, that antichrist entity that is at work in society. And notice the prominence of scarlet as it describes this woman and in that thought of scarlet you have a combination of the color of the blood of the martyrs remembering that some were torn apart by wild beasts in the Roman Empire some were stoned to death uh, by Jews of those days you have the color of blood and you have also a reference to immorality to prostitution And there's something very obvious and offensive about the connotations of this particular colour. It brings in obvious and offensive imagery. Uh, We talk today, or at least we don't talk about it, but we perhaps heard of red light districts. There's something very glaring and in your face. It's something that's 
immoral and deep dyed. And what the prophet is here saying, what God is saying through the prophet is this, though your sins are like scarlet. And he has clearly set out in this opening chapter, in this opening uh, legal statement, it is a legal statement, a forensic statement against a covenant-breaking people, what their sins are. He makes it such a statement in his very opening words. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 30, we read as Moses uh, sums up what the old covenant is, what God has given to the people, what he requires of the people of Israel. He then, as he sums up that covenant in verse 19 of Deuteronomy 30, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Uh, He has set out the terms of covenant obedience and he calls these witnesses to the covenant transaction Now, of course, there's nothing bigger than God, as it were, to to witness uh, such a transaction. So it's metaphorical language, heaven and earth. And here we find Isaiah calling those very same witnesses to witness that the terms of the covenant have been broken. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. And then he brings uh, this... Uh, this heart-rending statement that even the animals know their owner, even the animals show some affection, as it were, to their owner. But the sons that God has nourished, the children he has nourished, have rebelled against him. And we see that these sins are mentioned right through the chapter. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. Uh, He goes on to speak of them as being like Sodom and Gomorrah, only with slightly more of a remnant. Otherwise, they would have been destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, Verses 21 to 23, the faithful city has become a harlot. Uh, Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. There's all kinds of sharp practices, all kinds of covetousness and bribes going on with the leaders and so on. There are glaring sins. There's immorality, there's violence, there's obstinacy, there's spiritual indifference. This is all happening in the nation. I don't think I need to labour the point to say such things are very much uh, evident in our own nation. Um, You only have to look at the BBC website to see the kind of dramatic productions that are now being displayed as things that we ought to watch to realize the the glaring nature of the sins of our nation but the point is this the people just didn't get it they just didn't see it they didn't they weren't listening now how do we know that well we know that firstly from their religious practices as isaiah says to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me says the lord And he goes on to speak about the burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fed cattle, the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Everything is going on normally 
in a, at least in the religious, the cultic life of the nation. As far as the temple is concerned, there's plenty of sacrifices. There's the offering of incense. There's the new moons and the Sabbaths and the callings of assemblies. All these things that are there in the ceremonial calendar are being seen to assiduously. There's plenty of religion. Plenty, we could almost say, of orthodox religion in the sense that this is not talking about Baalism or the worship of Asherah or anything else of paganism. It's talking about those prescribed activities of worship that God has prescribed. And yet, as he says, as God says, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. To have religion... And to continue in religion, especially true religion, is to have deep-dyed, glaring sinfulness. It comes out, secondly, the fact that they just don't get it in their lifestyle is totally hypocritical. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear, your hands are full of blood. Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, Defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. We need to remember that all these groups that are being identified as needy, the oppressed, the fatherless, the widow, are those that the covenant established through Moses particularly singles out as needing the care of the people of Israel. They are their brothers and sisters in Yahweh. And these are the ones that the princes and the priests and, in fact, their neighbours should be looking out for. But even as this people uh, are full of many prayers and they have so much to say of a religious nature, they're ignoring those in desperate need. And we have to say that in our day, we are a generation in our country at least, that's great at passing judgment on other people. Somebody uses the N-word or something like that. And of course they shouldn't use the N-word. But those who round on them and accuse them, what are they up to? And some, we have lurid stories about immorality and so on, which are, are trawled over in great detail. But the very media that report on these things are exciting the lusts that lead to these things by so many of their own presentations. It's sheer hypocrisy. And then we have the matter of spiritual blindness. And what a picture it is in verses 5 and following. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. I have to confess that for many years when I read those words, I thought it was describing somebody, perhaps somebody who had leprosy or some other disease. But that's not what it's describing. It's describing somebody who has received chastisement. The bruises and the putrefying sores are metaphors for the chastisement that God has brought upon the nation 
for covenant breaking. If you go into the relevant chapters of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you'll discover that God makes it clear that if Israel does not keep the law, he will bring in her enemies and he will bring famine and he will bring, make the heavens to be as brass and he'll bring all kinds of problem into the national life, into the cultural life and in terms of the external enemies of the nation. These are the wounds. These are the sores. The invasion of the Syrians, the aggressive action of the pagan northern kingdom of Israel upon Judah. These are the, the beatings and the bruises. But the point is, the people are so blind and so insensitive, they do not recognize the hand of God in it. Do I have to apply that? As we consider what we have been through as a nation in recent months, And is there any sense of seeking God? Oh yes, there are words of gratitude and people say that they're going to make new resolutions and they have new perspectives. They use semi-religious language and they're quick to, quick to despise those who don't follow certain rules and engage in particular practices that happen to be uh, the sins that PC, political correctness, are against. But is there any sense of the majesty and the holiness of a, a God who is offended against our sin? There isn't. There's such blindness. People don't get it. And then we have the failure to reckon with the fact that God will judge the impenitent. That's what we find at the end of this chapter. The, trans, the destruction of transgressors and of sinners shall be together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees. These are trees in pagan shrines which you have desired. And you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens. Those are also to do with fertility religion which you have chosen. For you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be as tinder and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together and no one shall quench them. It's quite clear that the picture is of fire. And we can immediately see behind that the fires of hell. The future judgment of God. You see, what matters in all of this, whether we're thinking of Israel then... 700 BC, or whether we're thinking of Britain today or the world today, what matters is not how we see it. It's not how men and women see it. It's how God sees it and what God is going to do about it and what God is doing about it. Let me give you a very simple illustration of that. I'm told, thankfully it doesn't happen a lot, but I'm told that it is possible to get a false negative test for coronavirus. We're grateful for the fact there is a test that's reasonably reliable, but we're also told that some people might have the virus and yet show as negative. Well, they've still got the virus, even if it's negative. And our society, we live in a society which is committed to false negative tests when it comes to sin. But the problem is that sin is there. 
The spiritual blindness is there. The hypocrisy. And there is judgment to come. And by and large we have to say, and I'm sure we don't say this with delight, we say it with deep sorrow, by and large people are not listening. Not listening to God. They don't want to hear. But we see the mercy that even to such a people God offers his grace. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We see the mercy of God in that even though they didn't see their sins as sins, God was still offering his grace to them. If they would but listen, if they would but, as it were, sit down with God and enter into dialogue with God. I wonder if you are someone personally here, whether there's someone personally who is in a state of not seeing their sins, of utterly blind to God, utterly blind to the fact that they're heading for judgment. Now, you may say, well, that's, that's fine. Uh, they're not troubled. We're not troubled. No one's troubled. But that makes no difference because that's objectively where they are. And objectively, we take them to the end of this chapter one, which is talking about burning together and no one quenching them. That's the problem. And we see this striking offer of mercy from God, even to such a one. Let's look at that offer of mercy, that offer of forgiveness. We see it is an offer of complete forgiveness. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. We've moved from a lurid, evil association colour to one that's pure white, the purest white that we can think of, snow. Though they are red like crimson, a similar metaphor there for scarlet, they shall be as wool. We're thinking of something there that's naturally white. What God is saying is here is complete forgiveness for all who will hear his voice and come to him for cleansing. Complete forgiveness. We talk today about a clean sheet, don't we? We talk about someone having all their debts discharged and having a clean sheet. And he's saying, in spite of all these laws that have been broken, in spite of your covenant breaking, in spite of the fact that you're like Sodom and Gomorrah, there can be complete forgiveness. Total forgiveness. And then it's deep forgiveness, deep cleansing. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The thought here is not only of some vivid, lurid color, but also something that's indelible, something that's permanent, something that you don't easily get out of the cloth, something that's so deeply dyed that it's almost gone right into the fibers and you can't get it out. But here it is. There is, there is something that can cleanse even such stains. I remember just a few weeks ago in hospital, 
uh, the anaesthetist saying to me, uh, as we were waiting for to go into the operating theatre, he said, what they've got there, what they're swabbing it down with, he said, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible substance. It, it will deal with absolutely anything and everything, any virus, any bacteria. Well, we've got something even more powerful than that here to deal with sin. It's called the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin when we come to the Saviour. cleanses us from all sin. Listen to what John says in his first letter and the first chapter. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God's astonishing offer of mercy to the likes of you and me. Thirdly, we see that this forgiveness is beyond, I was going to say our wildest dreams, but I can't think of a, another, a better word than wildest. You see, how many of the hearers of Isaiah would ever have experienced snow? Probably very few. Those that live in the north, near Mount Hermon, the mountains of Lebanon, would have seen it. Perhaps those uh, living near Mount Zion would get a little smattering of every two or three years. But probably the greater number of the population of Judah had never actually experienced snow, but they've heard about it. You can understand that as you read the book of Job, for example, it's referred to. They've heard about it. They know it's something that's dreamlike. This lovely white stuff. And we know today that people who come from lands where they've never seen snow get very excited when they see the snow. There's something dreamlike about it. It's heavenly. You think of a child thinking of Christmas and the shimmering white outside their normal experience. And it's as though God is saying, you could could never imagine, perhaps you have just imagined a perfect world in which you are completely free of guilt. And everything is right between you and me and between you and others. And, and here's something nearly with, within your imagination, but you can't quite grasp it. It seems far too good to be true. And yet God is saying it can be true. His forgiveness, utterly and totally. Fellowship with him of the deepest kind. Why can it be true? Well, because of that wonderful work of double imputation that our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross, which is expounded in the letters of the Apostle Paul. For example, in Romans chapter 4, David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And he quotes the Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. He is a man who is lawless. He is someone who has got sins of deepest dye. And yet, 
God imputes, God reckons to that person righteousness apart from works. And how does he do that? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 20 and 21, he tells us that God has made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sins imputed to Christ, his righteousness imputed to us. It's like a fairy tale. And yet it's absolutely true. It's the experience, it's the glorious experience of those who've come and made themselves clean through the blood of Christ. And then we notice, fourthly, concerning this forgiveness, that it is a very gentle and a kind offer that God is making. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. When you consider what he's saying about the spiritual moral condition of the land, you might imagine that he will blast forth thunder and lightning and destroy everything, but he doesn't. He says, come, let us reason together. Let's sit down and talk about this. Because that's the way in which God approaches sinful people like you and me. You know, Jesus spoke to a representative of this kind of of society in John chapter 4. Admittedly, it was a Samaritan, but it's the same kind of lifestyle. A Samaritan woman who had had several husbands. And the one she was living with at that time was not her husband. And Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. Notice he doesn't say, look, I've got this living water. Open your mouth and I'm going to force feed you living water. You're going to get it whether or not you want it. What he says is quite different. It's reasoning with her. There are two things you don't realize. The first is the greatness of the gift. And the second is the greatness of the person who's offering you this gift. And once you've got that, what will happen next? Not that I will ram the tube down your throat, but you will ask of him. And he will give it to you. And here's the same gracious approach of God. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And then we have to say finally concerning this mercy that it's a liberating mercy. It actually changes lives. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. And then after verse 18, they, are, they shall be as wool your sins. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Notice that the promise is not divorced from what flows from this promise. The prophet is not saying, now just start keeping the covenant and all will be right. He doesn't say that. He says the first thing to do is to wash yourselves. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. It's the washing first. It's making your sins, your red sins, as white as snow first, and then comes the being willing and obedient and the eating of the good of the land. In other words, this is still true to the glorious gospel of Christ, that it is by grace that we are saved, but that grace is followed in works of righteousness. That grace is followed 
in a change, in a deep and radical change of life. The hypocrisy, the blindness, the disobedience goes. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's somebody in this room tonight who has agreed with everything up to now. You've had no problems with this. You know this is the gospel. You know that this is what what it says, that there is cleansing in the blood of Christ. But this is the point. Are you willing for what will follow? Because if you're not, it's a highway of holiness and you will not be saved unless you set out on that highway of holiness. You can't have one without the other. You can't have your sins being cleansed and made as white as snow and not then be willing and obedient. You can't have it. It's a call to holiness. Is this where you part company with the preacher? Everything has been just as you, yes, you know that you've heard the gospel. You know this is what the gospel says. But here you part company when the preacher actually dares to say that the gospel will change your life and change your heart and liberate you. Because he who commits sin is the slave of sin. No, you mustn't part company with the preacher. You must stick with it. Yes, your sins are scarlet and crimson until you come to Christ. But you must come to him and come to him without delay and be ready for the glorious and very costly change that he will make in your life and in your lifestyle and in your priorities and in the affections of your heart and in your general relation to sin. That's what you must be ready for. And yet it's so gracious that he says this to such a people as them and us. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Is that you? Will it be you tonight? We trust it will be by the grace of God.